Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. This week, we dive into the extraordinary world of Normski iconic creative force and cultural influencer. From pioneering photography and capturing the burgeoning hip-hop scene of the 1980s with bands like Public Enemy, NWA and Wu-Tang Clan, to becoming Britain's foremost youth presenter on BBC Two, Normski's left an indelible mark on the cultural landscape. Join us to uncover his creative obsessions and the artistry and agility behind his lens in a captivating conversation I hope inspires and energises your own creative spirit. There's something you said that was really important, I think, for our our, um, audience in that your desire to follow a passion, Mm. inspired by your local community, but also in also being inspired by the potential of making some money from your craft. Yeah, no, absolutely. The willingness to put yourself in the way of opportunities, but also determinedly creating opportunities for yourself not taking no for an answer or not taking the opportunity that you got used to the fact that you might have to do a lot in order to get a result. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, I did have part-time jobs, you know, whilst I was pushing on my photography stuff, which, you know, took a very long time to be a talk about subject in the sense of where I was doing just photography. You know, I was not getting a lot of work, so I was making a lot of work for myself. So, it was a professional hobby for a very long time, uh, and hence why a lot of my work was very much before the time of fame for a lot of artists, because a lot of people were becoming artists and yeah, uh, and or just becoming part of a culture and a movement, and I was part of that. And so, you know, uh, those opportunities I had to show myself in the professional world, I did, I did go for them, and and every now and again I was put forward, and that was, you know, ultimately super scary because. You're literally only as good as your last job. And in the early days, I'm sure some people thought, you know what, he's got potential, you know. And I'm, I know I was being given advice when I was delivering some photographs. So I used to shoot live gigs and then phone up the magazine to see who had, you know, maybe made have done a review. Uh, mm. And what they did was they probably more often than not, they did have a photographer that was going down uh, to do it. But then they had an op- option of shots now. And maybe, mm. maybe one of my shots was better or was good enough to them say, oh, we've got a second guy. So when I got a call, it would have been, are you available? We've got a gig that you might want to do if you're available to do it. And often it would be whatever I was asked to do. I just said yes. And it was quite a lot. It was pop bands, jazz bands, jazz artists, just anything to get my my practice on and actually work Um what was the first one, Nomsky, that you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe they've asked me to do this? Oh, uh, um, I'm not sure, really. I think, really, oh, goodness me, I can't actually remember the first time. Um, I'd be very confused between me calling up and has- harassing someone and asking them to try <laughs> and get work and for them to actually accept. Like I say, it was not instant uh, at all with regards I guess you to... Were- you were observing talent through the lens, uh, though. Yeah, I mean, and I think also around that time, I'm still observing talent around me. So it was a case of I was very fortunate when it came to me being asked to take photographs, you know, like maybe it was Hip Hop Alliance 
1983, 84. Maybe mm. it was Hip Hop Alliance. That was like a community-based cheap project. Ricky Reynolds, completely responsible for that uh, as a local youth leader in Brixton. And he had a little youth club and they had the Hip Hop Alliance, which was like a hip hop club that they would do, you know, getting the decks out for the kids to learn and to give them a space to do break dancing and try and get some some local council to let them, allow them to do graffiti painting on the wall or something and to give kids something to do and, you know, and, and get them off the streets and, you know, creating havoc. And I remember going along to those events as, you know, I was on online to get a NUJ card, which I did get, National Union of Journalists. I was on that track to be a professional photographer and what it took to be that. So, and having with the training gone to the college, I had it in my head to to be a photographer that would be called up to go and do assignments. That was the great way. So mm. I'm not sure what, which of the assignments were, but, you know, when I, maybe it was the Hip Hop Alliance when it came out in, whatever the local Brixton newspaper was, DJ Choose and Scratch Professor being the youngest DJ ever. Uh, there were two little black and white photographs that I'd taken. You know, was it the ones that were in The Voice, you know? Then they said, oh, there's, you know, we want you to go and take photographs of the unveiling of the, you know, the, the uh, South African thing and um, apartheid and stuff with a stone that's been unveiled by, you know, the mayor of Camden and whatever. So that, whenever it was, it was before me trying to think which artists as an artist mm. um uh, you know uh it was just seeing a photograph i'm trying to see in, back to the 80s i can't remember which one it was for me it was diy parking which is the title of the shot with the lady's car that she parked she parked it badly that was damn near a half page picture in my okay. local newspaper and when I saw that, I just said, right. Um, and they didn't ask me. Uh, and they didn't often call me up for much, but I would have got called up. And the images I would have got called up for, they might well have been the ones who asked me to say, oh, well, it's up your way, up your alley, isn't it? The black arts thing. There's an exhibition. So you just go along there and take photographs of the artists and take photographs of the work. And, of course, I work mostly in black and white, so I didn't really have any idea of going along with possibly colour pictures to take photographs of the colour arts on the walls. But I learned then mm. um, that, you know, you need to learn colour as well. But I was very much a black and white newsworthy type of photographer mm. and uh, was working like that for quite a while. Something about you understanding the context of the media, which really takes us quite nicely to... You know, how did things take off for you in terms of you entering the media in a very different way, Normski? So how did you move from photography to actually being on TV, for example? Well, that wasn't really a move from photography as much as it is a move, or you know, in, you know, like a career step or whatever you want to say that, or just trying, as you said before, putting myself in front and going out there and trying thing. I just literally tried something and you know when i was doing a shoot of some photographs i think for hip-hop connection which was in the maybe around like 87 <clears throat> i remember I, I went to bridlington um which was a seaside town there's a blackpool mm -hmm. and that's just happens to be where they were having their uh, graffiti competition it was like an international graffiti competition 
it might the north, well north of England. That. Yeah, it might, might well have been a hip hop jam, and they had the, the, the. I think it was like a hip hop jam as well. But I'm pretty much remember it's mostly based around graffiti, and so there were a lot of, you know, Bristol kids. I had no idea who all these kids were. There were kids from France and some Americans. It was really like if you're into graffiti art, you knew who was who. And I was just really quite naive and went along to take photographs, cover it like an assignment. Take like obviously take loads of photographs of lots of pieces and artists and stuff like that, but. I do remember um, there used to be a TV program called Pebble Mill, which yes. is like an afternoon magazine type program of, you know, had all kinds of things. It was like kind of good morning, but in the afternoon, and it would have lots of information about what was going on. It also did a lot of outside reports and stuff where they'd go around places. And I remember um, they came to that particular event, and I was with the editor, Chris Hunt, who's obviously older than all the young people. It had authority because he was an editor of a magazine that was doing a great big story about this great event today. And uh, I'm sure they had interviews with some of the, the graffiti writers and the young kids as well. It was just like any news report. So what do you think of today then? You know, and mm. I was asked a few questions because I was pointed out because you know, you talk to Normsky, he's, he's the main photographer of the scene. And I don't remember doing that scene. I don't remember what I said, but I have been reminded. And I do remember that was the first time uh, I'd been on TV another time when I think it was Pebble Mill again. Mm. They were in London and they came to Camden and they were doing a story possibly about Camden Town, possibly about Camden Market, but they were definitely including um, Jazzy B and the Soul to Soul outfit because they had a clothes shop yeah. and they had this new um, outfit in and they had a whole tribe going on, the sound system and all this stuff was going on. I'm trying to be a photographer. I'm part of this movement that's happening and I was in. Camden that day, actually, funny enough, with David, my stepfather, and we were out in Camden doing some shopping. It was like a Saturday afternoon as well, and I saw HB was one of the Soul Soul members, and he literally came up to me and said, Norm, you need to come to the shop now because we're all being filmed for, like, this TV program. You should come down. And I had one of my JVs. I had a JV4 suit, which was a JV suit, which is like a matching tracksuit, very hip-hop at the time, and I was wearing it, and he said, you need to come down wearing that because they're doing a story about fashion, street fashion. Brilliant. So I went down again. So I was always, it was always, television was always going to catch up with what was happening on the streets. That's mm. actually the way it goes. We're the content. So if you're looking at content fillers, you become the content. So naturally at some point, you be, you stop from being a band that's just playing in, you know, back, back halls or pubs. You get a record deal or you get seen on a bigger stage and then you become the talk of the town. Mm. And that's what was going on. What I was into became the talk of the town. So again, when I went to, when I went for the only real meeting I went to to find out about this TV show that was the talk of the scene, we didn't have any television programmes. We had one at a time behind the beat, Ensign Radio. They were all like little programmes that all represented. Dance Energy was just another format that followed on from something that was a new voice in British television uh, programming that was a new voice, a new generation of people with styles and culture and music and, and opinion. And it was getting a little bit older, but it was still needed to have a place on primetime television. We were very fortunate that within that sort of Deaf 2 television slot that was on BBC Two, which was the arts and entertainment side of the BBC, yeah. uh, it, it was very much focused on it being a new music format programme that would have the feeling of rough guide, that would have the feeling of, you know, the kind of programmes that were educational and also travelling 
and we'd also have a national look at what was going on, not just, you know, because the record companies want just those acts or anything like that. Never anything like that. It was always about true to the scene. You know, we're going to go to Manchester and we're going to get people from Manchester to tell us about their city. So you get that city report. Yeah. Um, which is very much like Rough Guide, which is one of the best programmes that ever got taken off. And that gave you this, you gave this window into this world of opportunities and people that were like you, but in a different town or things that you didn't even realise you were interested that were happening in another town, you know, even in another country, you know. And uh, so Dance Energy had that magazine format and I went into that, (laughs) found out it was a magazine format, I went into that meeting to talk to the um, the two original producer or writers of the programme, um, Mary Calderwood and Darren Schlesinger, as far as I remember. And I think Jazz Winder was the first producer who was, they were, they were a little movement of young ladies as well. I say that, who were in media. They, some had done a radio background. Television would have been for them, like, what do you do after you've done a load of radio as a researcher? Or maybe you get, oh, I've got yeah. a job working on a TV programme because it's really radio with pictures. And they're very similar. You know, and as a, as a camera person, I could have gone off and become a cameraman and just carried on on the director side, which I did because, you know, the director of photography or maybe a director as such and started to do yeah. promos, which I started to do. Uh, all of it's all, you know, around vision, which I say and say again, you know, you have to have vision, first of all. And, you know, so I, that was what I did. I went to this meeting. I spoke to Darren and Mary and uh, I was showing them my portfolio, like on any other go-see which I would do. And I was on automatic pilot. You know, I'm really good at taking photographs. I kind of know the people, the scene that I'm, I'm mostly shooting in, but I'm always open to learn more things. And, you know, I'm user friendly, you know, I'm not just into the black music or just into this. I don't actually hate anything. Uh, I got to not like things, but I had to try it first and realize, no, that's not really my area. No. Mm-hmm. And no one would ask you to do stuff if you didn't come back with comfortable pictures and as, you know, that's creatively, that's the last thing anyone would do. And it's awful when they just send that photographer to a place who's no idea and comes back with really bog standard photographs. And that's not something I would have done. I would have come back with these photographs. I'm like, whoa, hang on. These are a bit different because yeah. I was kind of from a lot of it. So people would kind of be, um, and uh, maybe I wasn't so for, maybe I, you know, maybe I got people when they had already done all of the kind of full smiles for all the big new music press. Now they can relax. And they're going to come and do not such a big paper or not such a big magazine. But, they, you know, the guy's nice and he's kind of cool. I was super grateful to take a picture of anyone. You know, I did photo shoot with Della Soul and I really shot them really only once. And it was five minutes before they went live on stage in Brixton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I treated it like I was on a location shoot in a studio. I had my little flashlight with my little softbox you know, and, and I made them wait and I was really struggling to put it together quickly because I knew I was running <laughs> out of time. The whole thing was like, you know, and we're in an alleyway, you know, and then there's people gathering around us and, and, I, and I'm hating that. And and it's getting a little bit like, yo, when are we going to finish? And I'm like, oh, just, can we just do some separate ones? I'm trying to make it into a proper photo shoot. And, and you know, and then I pushed them into between the garage and the wall and then you can smell <laughs> it's like where people are stuck a urinal around there, you know, and I'm like, ah. Oh. But it's rough and ready, and then the photographs are done, and that's it. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't have told anybody that, they would probably look at that photo and think, oh, that was a really nice studio shot. Uh, yeah. and, and that was because I treated it like a proper photo shoot, you know, five minutes yeah. or, or 10 minutes or an hour. In that millisecond, you hold it, and you get a shot, and you try and capture it like a pro. And thankfully, you know, I put flower. I gave them daisies, flowers as well to hold as a friend of mine, Bliss at the time, suggested, you should take some flowers along. That would be really cool. Daisies. And I was like, hip-hop, daisies, are you mad? And, and then it was like, oh, you're absolutely right. They're it the works. Daisy Age rappers. 
And even when I pulled them out, they were a little bit surprised. Yeah. Um, but on a creative one, again, you talk about being brave. I was just being creative. And is that what creativity is? Bravery? It is. It's about being, it's being willing to be shit in those moments. I- <laughs> Even if you're not willing, you have to be prepared to go, oh, I was really crap then. I Do you know, but was- this, like you've just, you've given us examples of how over yeah. the years you've just shown oh, yeah. up. And you've given it your best shot and taken a risk, you know, like putting yourself in the way of Della Soul and feeling the cringe factor when it's yeah. not going to plan. Uh, or it's, well, you know, you know in- and then I'm shooting on film. Then the reality as well is, is, oh, I hope I got the shots. I hope that I didn't. Because in the nervousness, don't forget, most of the time, a lot of us don't show it. And I think I never really show it. But I am the most nervous person. Mm. I'm very, very, very nervous. and. Uh, but that, I think, is that edge of um, excitement that really, you know, it's it's something that doesn't drive me, but I am anxious because I want it to come out well. And, yeah. I, and I will have that until I've seen the results. I am like, oh, but I will also take it on the chin and realise that it was a really, really good fun laugh doing it. Uh, let me just stop this. I uh, do apologise. Uh, it was really good fun doing it. And don't forget that the joy and the joke, but let's see how the pictures come out. Then you get the pictures back and you're like, oh my God, they're actually really good. Yeah. Um, and you can so breathe a it's, sigh of it's, relief. It's adrenaline. It's not necessarily nervous and fear. It's adrenaline. Well, um, actually, I'm really grateful that you shared that about having anxiety at times with your creativity, but also generally because so yeah, many... Yeah, you're shitting yourself. If you think you're going to flop, don't you? You might even think, oh my God, does, does everyone believe my idea? Because it's trying to convince people that they look good. It's not easy when they feel like crap. Yeah, that's some, right. But the time that's you right. get someone, you know, like fifth person on the press call for a day, they're, they're over it. They don't want to do any photo shoots. Yeah, their energy's now, gone. Now you've got to come in with a different energy. And that's, I would come in, like everyone would say, do you know what? He made it like so much fun. I actually really enjoyed that. And they don't talk yeah. about the ones that they weren't enjoying and the ones that they're getting cover shoots for. We never hear them talk about that. They talk about when I was hanging out after I'd finished my work and just sat there chatting. I didn't even realise Normski was taking photos, you know, and they're like, and, you know, it was the joy of being in one's company. I am actually in awe of being in company of some of the people because to just not see them on stage, but to actually be connected with people sometimes is a very, very uh, special thing that I've been able to experience over and over again. I'm curious about that, Nomsky, in terms of, you know, you're very clear about your sort of your um, humble beginnings and, you know, learning as you go and being on the street Mm -hmm. and learning from the community that you surrounded yourself growing up in this incredible creative community but you also talked about the hustle and but in the midst of that because there weren't people doing it like you it took enormous um self-belief and confidence at times and i'm wondering you know how did you develop that for yourself where did you where did you find that inner resilience I think because I really don't think, you know, years and years and years ago, I think somebody had asked me, I remember somebody had asked me, I can't remember when it was such a long time ago, and it's not a question, it's something that they used to ask young person, who are your idols? And straight away from an early age, I didn't know who to pick on that one, that there was no idols. Uh, then when they explained what an idol was to me, I was like, well, maybe like Muhammad Ali or someone like that. You know, because it was obviously it had to be someone who was successful at something. Oh, Pele. And I didn't even like, I wasn't a mad footballer. 
But I used to drop those names, and uh, and I know now why because there was few few black idols uh, at all in any other field. So you just pick someone, and I, I wasn't going to say any word. I just that didn't sound right. So my idols were when I was doing stuff, uh, when I was building the Mammoth steam engine, which was basically didn't go anywhere. It was on a on a platter. But I had the engine. the engine was pretty much built to be honest. You know, it's just a boiler tank, and then you just tighten up the nuts and bolts. But you do tighten up the wheels and you can break the string and you have to tie the strings you know so there was a little bit of building then you could also build stuff that that steam engine could could mechanically power and um you know when i got the matches (laughs) and was allowed to burn candle uh, there was a little fuel thing underneath the steam and heat up the water so that in the steam engine it bubbled enough and got the pistons going diff 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 and that got the wheel turning diff diff and when that started running, that's what it did. It just ran. That was that was my idol right there. I was so when I was in, when I was taking photographs and thinking about, oh, I can't wait to go in the dark room. I can't wait to go in the dark room. I can't wait to go in the dark room and relive that photograph. Oh, let me make sure I use the right shutter speed so I can capture. Oh, it's so dark in this gig, so I'm gonna have to open it up to get those. All of these things were all like. All the things you need to do, you need to be focused, pitch black, and you're trying to focus. You can't see anything. And then the light comes on because the spotlight's on the singer and you, you get, and then the light goes off. So you're holding him focused and hope he goes back to that same place. You're listening to every beat, watching every dance move, and then you're anticipating where he's going to go. Let me catch a photo. You can't wait to get back, develop the film in the dark, hope that you don't get any light on it and bleed it out so you'll never have a picture. Then you need to dry it quickly. Now you need to go and enlarge it. Now you need to push the best shot and see if it's sharp. Yeah, and you want to blow up a print. Then you go and put the paper in. Then you go for the chemicals. Then you start seeing that picture there. And every time I saw the picture, I was obsessed with it. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about anyone and what they were doing or saying because nobody was in the dark room. I was in my zone. I and love that. I was there that. with the whole band. You've just, you know uh, I mean? <laughs> yeah, you've just highlighted how... That was it. How, that was the whole um, point. So Shut many up. creatives follow their obsessions and their passions, and they're really motivated by very specific, great, nuanced things for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's the result mm-hmm. of what you're capturing or creating. That is the whole point of why you did it. Uh, and then when you get when you got the pictures back, and you were like, "Okay, I want to do this again now." Next time I do it, I must remember to not do that. I can try that instead. And so, but you're adding to what you already know. So then it becomes second nature. I can sit here and I can say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 48 inches away from the computer screen. You know, I'm in inches now. Back of the day, that's six foot, that's 10 foot. I could, without even, I could, I used to focus the camera without looking at it. I would look at the whole scene because I know what that lens is 35 mil, 50 mil, 35 mil, 28 mil, 24 mil, 17 mil, you know, down to, you know, 15 mil, seeing nearly behind you, fisheye. I know what these dynamics are because I've practiced yeah. and looked and looked. I know what we can see. Our peripheral vision is damn near 360 degrees, you know, and, and it's a mad thing. So once you get that, you can start to absorb yourself and wherever you are. And it's just photographs all the time without even taking pictures. And there's a magic there as well. When you're not, it's not about the picture. It's about the print or, you know, it, or it is only about the picture that presents itself in a way that you end up going, no, man, I can project that. And you're like, I can project pictures. Like I did a shoot with um, these two guys. I can't remember what they're called now. Really good. Uh, they're house producers and DJs. The Beloved. 
Oh, yeah. Would have been loved, yeah. And uh, that was a shoot for Record Mirror magazine. I got a call from Record Mirror magazine to shoot this duo, a dance music duo, a couple of white guys. Sort of like it could have been like the northern scene, you know. I didn't really know. All I knew was they had a record out that was doing really well. They're in the dance part of the magazine, and I was going to do a shoot with them, but it was going to be a studio shoot with them. They had ideas for how they wanted to present the way they looked in the studio shoot. Mm. I was a little bit concerned, a bit worried, because I wasn't really that proficient in studios yet. I was, but I hadn't really worked with a band for a magazine, so I could not afford to mess this up. Mm -hmm. I was worried about that. I was going into medium format to try and impress them, to show that I could do big shots and big film. And so I did that. And they rocked up with the idea of having um, these slides projecting these letters bits of letters that they'd already prepped. I didn't produce those mm-hmm. slides. They had a projector. That when used to go to Rays back in those days, it was all DIY. People would have a fan, tie newspaper to a fan, put a <laughs> yeah. light behind it and just boom, blow, blow the fan. And the shadow would be moving, you know what I mean? A more yeah. glitter paper or something. You know, everything was DIY. Three, three or four slide, uh, slide projectors just projecting imagery and stuff that was changing randomly. Yeah. Nothing too CGI, nothing flash, really raw, um, but really homegrown. And they brought that vibe to the shoot. And they had a couple of projectors. And then we had to work out. So they had some letters on their face. Some were going out. <laughs> but, but it was a really interesting creative. They, they were the canvas that brought their own paint. And I had to try and capture that. And I did capture it. And it did make a great piece and it was but it was edgy because the lighting wasn't it was just already like whoa did I get it right very hard shoot to do we did get it right and um I you I can't take all of the um blame for the concept of that but <laughs> it made sense to me because I've gone on and continued to yeah I love that I was just getting this amazing image of you being so into and serious about your craft and the consideration the deep consideration that you bring and the attention that you pay to the sitter which is just it's beautiful but also then just you must have been in so many you you must have been in so many bonkers situations I'm a nervous wreck (laughs) people getting up to all kinds of weird shit Uh, you know, there was another band I did for Record Mirror. Record Mirror was like the popular music magazine of the time uh, in the you know, mid to late throughout the 80s, definitely. They were, you know, they weren't uh, Melody Maker or Enemy big newspaper format. They were actually a magazine format, but it was printed on newspaper paper. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, but it was a very cutting edge and they had a lot more pages for dance music. Uh, but they crossed the board because they had some indie. They had it all in there. You know, they had old pop. You know, they didn't even have talk about it. Anyone, Dolly Parton was doing something with the Pet Shop Boys. That would be a thing that they would focus heavily on that. It was a really interesting time. And uh, they uh, also got me to shoot another band called The Field of the Nephilim. Yes, and, I saw uh, them. I'm not sure what kind of music they were. They were obviously a kind of indie. They were more band. like goth. And they had the Dusted yeah. Cowboy. Goth, yeah. goth cowboy look, you know, I always immediately think of Adam and the Ants sort of time. I'm not sure why, but just because of the fact they were wearing Stetsons and they were all like making themselves out to me from the Midwest and it's kind of a little bit like, you know, dirty, dusty. When yeah. I did the shoot, I didn't know what to expect, um, but they came along and then I found out just recently that they always had bags of flour because that was what they used to make it look like they'd just come out of the desert. So they'd throw <laughs> flour all over their clothes. They were probably, they'd be dusting, they'd be dust everywhere. They loved it. 
But when I did the shoot, I thought that was a really cool prop. I was always open. And then I didn't realise that is a really important part of their look. Yeah, they always... And then the photographs, they, of, of course, where I should have really shot them outdoors, in amongst the trees, and, got, you know, it would have been easy. We were shooting that in Short Farm. I think, actually, funny enough, we used the Beehive Photography Centre um, studio for that oh, shot. Oh, nice. If, if we didn't use Beehive, we were then at Jill Fermanowski's studio, who was also based over there, and she, another massive, you know, massive rock photographer. She uh, sort of took me under her wing because uh, she had a studio and I used to hire the studio um, from her. And I learned a lot about how to run a studio when you're on a shoot by her allowing me to have that studio. And Amazing. then also let me um, use one of her photographic assistants. Uh, there were a couple of guys that worked there as well, That whoever was busy. And they were actually, one of them was actually a professional photographer that was keen to, do, to, to you know, to get, and he was kind of running a studio with another photographer. So I, mm. you know, learned my way around thanks to Matt. He was a really good chap. And, um, you know, and these people were there. And so, uh, yeah, I, I had opportunities to do some different stuff that I think have also, you know, uh, um, embodied themselves in the way I go back with stuff. So I would probably bring unusual ideas yeah. to a different genre just because no one necessarily, well, people now, their ideas are ridiculous. So it's not nothing but crazy ideas. But then... <laughs> You know, you had to you had to have something to you know to to make your your picture special, and uh, and I'm very blessed again. Yeah. Hey, are you passionate about mentoring artists? But maybe you're feeling like you've got way more potential to make a difference. Me too, and I've been where you are. I've built a six-figure mentoring business, so I know it's not just passion but strategy that counts. I want to help you elevate your mentoring practice. So join me and amazing business coach Lena Asragi and our creative mentor community for a game-changing three-day online course on November the 17th, 18th and 24th. Over three days, you'll master onboarding, craft systems, set prices confidently and so much more. Join us to unlock your talent and transform the impact you have in the arts. But please apply now because we've only got 20 spots available. Visit kerryhand.com to apply and Lena and I look forward to the possibility of working with you. So that determination to be uh, creatively attentive to the subjects, um, but also throwing yourself in at the deep end yeah. um, and just saying yes to any opportunity. That moment where you you said yes to hosting the tv show dance yeah. energy i'm just sorry i went off there yeah no 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 but it, it what's really interesting is the uh fact that there weren't any there weren't there wasn't anything like it yeah and that's a bit similar to you were saying you not having any idols because there weren't any before you in quite the way that you were rocking up in the world yeah i mean you know so it I, gave I, you some yeah, license absolutely gave you some license to kind of figure it out in your own way. Yeah, um, I think I think when I when I, those questions were being asked, we didn't have that yet. You know, yeah. I'm 23 now, rock dance energy. Yeah. I started when I was 14. Yes. That's a, that's nearly 10 years I've already been out in the world of doing stuff with people that are doing stuff. So that's how late that program is. So we know that the 5 years after the scene that that that, that program's premise starts from 
is when the program started. It, yes. Then, then it very quickly we realised it's not just started. Rave didn't just start. We started the program in '91. People are hardcore raving in '88, '87. They were starting buying, but it gathers and ca- and captures itself because then for three years we are rolling into a motion of activity that is actually happening. So we do become a weekly live show that is talking about what's happening now rather than where now everybody's talking about what happened in the 80s yeah i was talking about the current show right now what is that you know what i mean what is the thing that goes and goes and goes the internet or whatever yeah well i think you know a magazine if you're in the face or id you know or if you're on you know the word of dance energy you know, Channel 4 had their output of that kind of youth television. Yeah. We had another output. You know, prior to that, I just think of things like Top of the Pops and or, you know, Rough Guide to the World, which was, again, in the same time as our TV show. Before that, I can't think of anything that yeah. really made a focus. That wasn't a news story about those, you know, annoying skateboarding kids running around, you know, being a nuisance or whatever. It was actually a celebration of something you know, okay, you have got you got the sixties and the mods and that rock and roll and stuff. I wasn't around in those times. I was a really, really small no. kid. So this but is they what we certainly had. they certainly wouldn't have let a twenty four year old kid, you know, onto primetime TV. And it was a young person yeah. hosting a young person show, yeah. which was yeah. phenomenal. And yeah. I'm I'm curious, how did fame affect you at that time because it, it catapulted you into the limelight in a really mm. speedy sense yeah yeah weirdly enough i am not sure but whether it didn't really affect me as much as it could have done in any particular way be it good and or bad it affected other people a lot because i think the effect i had and I still have is, is that it was a very unusual thing to see a program with that many black kids having a really good time and that many young people all mixed up together, which is how we all went to school in mixed comprehensive schools, boys and girls, everyone, you know, everyone, yeah. you know, every culture. But they're just, you know, apart from Grange Hill and these little pockets of, you know, you don't really have like young adults having a laugh, getting with their fashion taste and their, the things that they've got in their bedroom, you know, the, the idols, the bands and the clothing they like to wear and the way they speak and stuff. Suddenly you just had this, what the hell is this? The camera angles, you know, BBC, or rather, mm. uh, ooh, it's a bit busy, you know. There were, there were warnings of, you know, epilepsy because of flashing frames. You never really <laughs> got that on television before we came on. And uh, it was a very, very quick time uh, where, you know, technology completely be- was beginning and um, things could be done quickly, fast, and change quickly as well. And so, for me, it was a continuation quite a long time after I had my, you know, I mean, if I went to New York in 1987, when I went to Detroit in 1987, I had met up with the kind of pioneers of Detroit techno music. Mm-hmm. And now for me, I was just going to Detroit. That was like an epic, epic, epic trip. Mm-hmm. Going to America, to, being paid to go to America to with a journalist to to do a story about this new sound which i'd only just about heard of was epic for me mm. to go there and to meet guys that were just like me and my friends but they weren't from new york they were from detroit but they were american but they were also messing around with drum machines and synthesizers 
I had friends. I my first job was in the London Rock Shop. I was selling. Well, I wasn't selling. <laughs> I wanted to sell, but I was actually being told to go and make tea or go and get the synthesizer <laughs> from the from the storerooms. I was yeah. only called an assistant shop sales sales boy. Tea boy was the real official job I was doing. Yeah. But, you know, I was on the floor as a young retail guy. But I was lucky. I was working in an environment selling, you know, Fender guitars, amplifiers to then some of the biggest pop stars that were living and coming in around central London. So that would be people like Madness weren't that regular, but I knew the Madness guys uh, because the whole time was very like musicians. It wasn't yeah. DJs. It was people that were actually in bands that went from band to band. And, you know, we had to clash with rehearse across the road quite a lot. So one of them might come in or the roadies would come in, you know, uh, Annie Lennox. I actually sold Annie Lennox a little keyboard a little teeny little battery-operated Casio thing, which obviously many of the earlier artists, when those early sort of synthesised portable toys were being made, were they could use them on the road and write songs when they were touring and all that sort of stuff. Very few of them took these little things on stage. They'd go on stage with the big Rollins and yes. we sold all that. So I was already head-to-head with all of this top-end stuff. So so you were very comfortable I, when you went well, to Detroit. I wasn't uncomfortable. I wasn't yeah. uncomfortable. That's the most important thing because it was natural to be walking down the street and see someone who's seriously famous when I was growing up. Mm. And and I really didn't have – I'm obviously the right chemistry for it, but I really didn't go, oh, my God, oh, my God. I was more intrigued. And, and I was also maybe a bit cheeky. So I'm curious. Know, yeah, I'm curiosity a, I, again. Yeah, I saw David Bailey once because he used to live around uh, my area as well. And, and you, when you know this, you're like, really? Oh, well, I must be. I must be interested in writing because if he lives around here, in photography. And I remember tying that in, thinking, what the guy on telly with the camera, and then he make, becomes this dream thing. Like some people see something, and, like, and I was like, oh, I want that camera. I want to get a camera like that. That looks so cool. He made it look really cool. And then you see one day you're looking in the Sunday Times magazine, and you see these incredible photographs. And then you look at who took them, and you see his name, and you're like, whoa, those are serious black and white. That's how I want my pictures to look, you know. So and then um, suddenly you're on television. Yeah. And I'm. I wonder, would you share? Looking back now through the lens of uh, um, being a number of decades into your creative career, what mm. do you think were the the challenges looking back for you personally? Um, I would say probably breaking away from my peer group um, was the hardest thing because uh, it was like, you know, I've, I kind of have to relate it to when you leave a certain school some of the people that you saw every day, you just mm-hmm. don't see them. You see them less and less. And some people went to uni and, and they go to one uni. And other people go to, I mean, then your mates become weekend mates and stuff like that. That was very difficult because um, my friends were everything. Well, you know, my family was everything, but my friends were even closer because I spent a lot of time going from friend to friend, family. We had a lot of mates, you know. And I noticed that my interest took me away from them. So I instilled a lot of the things I missed from my good friends into my new friends. Mm. And I would treat people like they were really good friends. I've been very loyal like that. And I and I think I built relationships. So that was a very interesting learning lesson was is to grow up, you know. Um, you needed real, a new tribe with you. Well, no, you, ne- you, you don't need. Some people just don't ever leave home. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, you find that you have to, you know, let things go and accept them for what they are. And we moved in area a few times, you know, but when it came to being well-known and stuff and 
you know, um, that was a really crazy thing because I, I didn't go to drama school with the intention of being looked at all the time. Uh, yeah. It's a very difficult thing sometimes to constantly ex be expected to basically perform because you're renowned for performance, uh, yeah. which is a big change. The television was a big change from being a photographer. Photographer, yes. you know, I, I, it wasn't about me. Photographer was always about the people I took photographs of. It was about what I was at. You know, I didn't, you know, I wouldn't be putting a great big story about how much an effect this is having on me when I put a picture in. And it was nothing no. to do with me. I was very happy to see an image and then see someone's writings to review the night, make sense of what that somebody didn't see. But and then through my photograph and reading those words, you felt that was my reward in life. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so you that, moved from being... Sorry, sorry, we had a little glitch then. That's all right. Yeah. No, you moved no, from being right. an observer to being observed. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And um, and and I haven't really, really made a big deal about that to the fact of where I still act like I'm an observer. And I think I would like to remain the voice of the people with respect to my approach. You know, some people have said that's the reason why Norman hasn't this, that, and the other is because he's too real. And uh, and I'm like, well, what I think they're really saying is that because I don't play a certain game in the industries, uh, maybe I'm not marketable in certain areas. There are certain things that I haven't continued to do within a particular spectrum of, say, in the media world. And, well, I don't mind because I don't know where I'm supposed to have time to do all these things that you think you should or shouldn't be doing. The course I'm on is the course I'm on. Um one of the other things that was hard to deal with um, was that people didn't think I wanted to, to, to take photographs. Even though I was still a good photographer, that was quite difficult because people now look at you in a different way. They see mm -hmm. you in a different way and they think, well, you don't really even need the work. Then on the other hand, you become a celebrity photographer. <laughs> oh, yeah. So people are wanting you to do stuff because of the fact that you're famous or you're known of. Um, but then I think then, well, in a way, you're when you're a photographer who's continually being called in to do all the hip hop stuff because you're really good at it, then in a sense, then you're a special photographer in that scene. So it doesn't really, I, like I say, it's affected other people, this industry, than it has yes. me. But it's been a challenge to complete, you know, to continue to navigate and not spoil people's illusion, but try and show them it's not all what it looks like from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been broke. For a long time, the COVID thing, I was doing a lot of DJing work for here and there in between over the years. Half the clubs and bars I played that got closed down. You know, people in theatre and then, you know, a lot of people had to sort of stop and start a new life and start a new job. And the outlets now remind me of how it was when I started. There was not as much opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you ask me, what did I have to deal with? Well, I didn't have the internet. So I had to do a lot of legwork and be very patient. We also had to use first or second class post yeah. to get, you know, to information. Um, it was, you know, it was, you know, didn't have a lot of money or anything. So it was all very DIY. And the challenges are what have made me what I am, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of think, well, what challenges like what? Well, you know, what what was, you know, did, were you, did you feel like you were held back? No, well, I think I was told, to, trained or educated to not think I was any good and I'd only be good for one or two things. But 
I don't, my family, I don't think have, have continued. I think they were showing the possibilities of you can try things and if you get good at them, you can do well with them. So I was given a lot of freedom to pick what I wanted to do. And I've just followed this path, which wasn't really mapped out. You know, if you say, well, what would you say to yourself as a younger person? Yeah. I would say you definitely should follow your gun, gut instinct and don't even think about not doing it. Just go for it because you will smash it. But I spent most of my life not going for it because I wasn't sure and a lot of people around me weren't sure and I listened to a lot of people mm. a lot. And now I realise that, you know, how is anyone going to be completely sure? If you have a feeling over something, then you should really follow it through. And I think that's kind of, you know, a really, it's a lifelong lesson you learn because you get older and wiser, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, um, but there are a lot of things, there are a lot of difficulties, you know, trying trying to break into a world with, you know, that was predominantly white um, was, you know, a very difficult challenge because there was no breaking into it. I had to become part of a world that was multicultural, or mm-hmm. that appreciated black music, black arts. And then with that, that's that has showed a little bit of like, well, hang on, this guy. You know, some people are like, oh, I don't do anything for anyone but this area. Mm-hmm. Not me. I was more into, no, no, no. You know, one day, one day, I'd love to work for Vogue. One day, I'd love to work for Vogue. You know, and then you go off to a music staff. And then I got an agent, Zed, you know, Ziggy, Ziggy um, Goldsmith. She had an agency called Z Agency, fantastic mm-hmm. agency that took all the models that all the other models wouldn't take. So, you know, the first girls of colour, first guys of colour, you know, the unusual, uh, you know, the different look, which is very much today's look, way yes. out of the curve because, you know, there was a whole load of people that weren't being represented, you know, punk models, you know, in the early high fashion days, you know. And she started an agency and she, you know, got a few photographers that she believed in. You know, Anton Corbin. Wow. He was on, man, I was like, man, Z Agency. And I was doing music stuff, hip-hop stuff predominantly. Uh, I worked with a couple of artists that were on G Street Records. There was an affiliation with G Street and Ziggy. And she said, look, I'm going to represent you for a bit because you're really quite good and I'm sure we could get you work. And then, bam, you know, I was shooting for ID. Then, bam, I did two shoots for Vogue, thanks to Ziggy and, you know, and people that were in there to help me get that because you know and I shot first of all Pauline Henry I think I think I shot Pauline Henry second actually the first shoot I think I did was no it was Pauline Henry I did first because I did it on 35 mil and Izzy Blow Izzy Blue she was the uh, stylist god bless her soul who was really young and funky then but I didn't know anything much about it I was just glad to be doing a photo shoot for um for the magazine and I didn't mess them all up, but they, you know, they weren't high quality Vogue photographic stuff. This was a new kid, yes. you know, but it's still creative and still artistic and it's still got the spread. Then the next time I got an opportunity, it was for black comedians, uh, Ish, uh, Curtis and Ishmael and another deceased great comedian, Felix. Mm. And that was, and again, Izzy's also styled that, but it was more of an editorial shoot. So she sent some suits for them to wear. And, um, they they dressed up and we did photographs up in Brixton with uh, Curtis and Ishmael and I did Felix at the Comedy Store in Leicester Square and you know and those were you know large form medium format really good quality and so that box that box got ticked but it didn't get ticked over and over again no so there has always been the thing where you don't always get 
you know, oh, we've had, he's, had, he's had a shoot, that's it, because it wasn't until Edward Enninful started to, you know, this is like 30-something years later. Yeah. We've got a Vogue. black editor of The Vogue. Yeah. So, you know, this is the world I've come up in, and I'm not going to make a big hoo-ha about that, because the sooner we get that stupid monkey that's been left on our shoulders off, yeah, the quicker we can rise and higher, because the story's been told over and over again. And I'm hoping that. out of that, out of that grey smoke, though, that one and two people, I'm not going to start naming names, but I am going to be standing proud because it was only this weekend gone that I went over to Regent's Park and I took a long ride from where I am in East London to go and visit the Freeze Sculpture Park. Yeah. And I went and saw my great friend, Zach Ovey. Mothership Connection sculpture that he did that was in the British Museum. And it's reminded me of all the great sculptures that he's done, which are oversized, oversized, larger-than-life work being received by the art world internationally, stuff that he's done. And for me, I, I feel really proud that in all of that, you, this, you won't do well. When, you know, headmistress said to me, Anzac, you know, you guys, you shouldn't leave now. You should stay and do the air at school. And we were like, no, I'm going to go and study something that we really want to do. He went and did fine art and film. I went and did photography. And, you know, we've got our names flying around and we've got photographs of our time we've represented. And I'm really glad that we didn't take that advice because otherwise we this wouldn't be the conversation right now. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of, lot of people have come out of that smoke. It's very important for them to realise it's not been... And actually, I'll say it now, the ones that are going to shine and look really good from right now in the 2020s onwards, are the ones that I've got to bite, chump, knock down, get lifted back up. Those are the ones that are going to have the long-lasting work because it is easy to do stuff on an epic level, but it, it, the integrity shines. And I tell you, if, it, if it's not made of love, it probably won't be received with love. It might make you loads of money. Someone might love all the money it makes, but I'm not sure necessarily whether it's going to have the shelf life. And, and it's very important to to do stuff because you are true to it and you love it and it loves you. And, you know, because of what loved me, this is why I was able to do some of the stuff I've done in my life. You know, I've been, when I've said, oh, I'm not doing that anymore, it's not going to happen. And someone calls up and I tell them, yeah, I'm not going to give up doing that. And they said, what are you talking about? I phoned you up. I need you to come and do it for me. You know, it's a bit of work. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, you know, it's been so long since I've been active in a certain area that you think, oh, I'm not doing it. And it's just because, like, you know, you get writer's block sometimes as a writer. And it's okay, go and do something else. You yes. know, go and do something else for a while. I mean, I remember when I first met you, you were working uh, you, you in Somerset House doing all kinds That's of right. exhibition stuff. But you've like you've decided you want to get to before that bit. You want to get to you want to get into the arts, into the actual artists. You love it. So you got out of that room and you're in your own room. And I think it's very important to we said you said this about me already, to try different things. Yeah, I think that's you know, right, Norman. And I think everything you've said about doing what loves you and the love will come, but also what you love is so important. I think that's and, most important. And I and think it's sad when, I was going to say it's sad when people don't find something because that we were encouraged to find something you're interested in or get interested in something. And then when you do, like some people like swimming, and then before you know it, they swim every day. They're not necessarily entering competitions, but then when they travel, they go to places to do a swim and you're like, wow, you know what? Yeah, yeah, why not? I would do that. I would just go somewhere to a gig, take my camera and hope I can get in with it. And I'd get in know, and I'd 
sneak a shot. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something that you've said about those different rooms, if you like, that we find ourselves. Yeah. We have different seasons in our creative life. Absolutely. And you've been through an epic journey so far. I mean, my goodness, what you've achieved in your life is literally off the chart. It's unbelievable what you've pe- I, you know, put your I mind know. to. But I'm curious, yeah. as a sort of parting gift to us, Norman, what would you say, you know, what's in front of you? What are you excited about at the moment? What would you like to get your teeth stuck into next? Um, there's, someone asked me that the other day and I didn't have an answer and I thought about it afterwards. And I think something came to my mind, but I know right now um, I'm really actually nearly enjoying it. It's still, you know, I am really enjoying it so much, but the whole concept of the book, the publishing, um, you know, uh, there was some conversation that I had with a fellow friend of mine who was so inspired by what the book has. I kind of like the idea of what else can we do with that book? You know, I'd love to do another, and it's been a long time, and I promised, oh, my goodness, I forgot that I promised myself and everyone who says, when's your next exhibition? When's your next exhibition? And I said quite a few years ago, I'm not doing any more exhibitions now till I get a book out, then I'll do the proper one. And I went and did two little small ones anyway, you know. Um, But doing the book was the ultimate accolade for my work, because it is like you know, a body of work, yes, but it is like a whole show and some in a box kind of thing. And I kind of like the idea of being able to stand back and look at that and see it as an exhibition. I love the idea of the um, the extra um, ways of using it with regards to doing the book. Um, and talking to inspire other people. That's been a big deal of being out and about. I've done a lot of that, but, and I've really, I need to take about three portfolios, one zine, and mm. it really gives me joy to show people what I've done, to show them what's possible. Yes. And the book has already proven to inspire people. When I did the radio show the other day mm. and all the programming was um, the music of the time yeah. in just a handful of the photographs in a in a two-hour show, and it, we had a lot of talking on it as well. I found that really exciting to yeah. actually live, to, to relive some of these great um, times through the art and photography. And there's there's a lot that you know that it, the book covers from my straightforward reportage photography to my art photography, where I have a photograph like this, which is a black and white shot. Oh, I kind of touch that. Could you describe I, what you're showing me? And I can see what I'm showing you is a photograph of the Hijack Crew, which is a hip-hop band from South London. I'm trying to get it about the glare. Yes. And they were basically shot on location. And the photograph is a black and white photograph that I then got on photographic colouring inks, which is something I got many years ago. Uh, for retouching colour photographs. And this is pre-Photoshop. So back in the day, there was an artist who was able to spot out. And in black and white, it was always much easier because you'd have a palette of white to black and all the greys in between. And they try and any little blemishes or marks or hairs, you try and spot them out. So what I was doing was I was adding colour to a black and white photograph. And I was using all kinds of techniques, felt-tip pens, 
the inks that I'd got on, which were running out. I mixed them in the purples and I got all Batman and DC comic animation mode with it and colored it in quite roughly because it was, it was a great shot that lent itself to being able to be manipulated like that. Uh, and then I repressed it, you know, re Xeroxed it. And that's the sort of stuff that I was doing. I, I call this my hip hop art, like pop art, but it's hip hop. Yeah, and, I like uh, it. And I was doing a lot of stuff like that because. But I'm coming out of that time, you see. So when I look at my inspirations, you know, you know the Warhols and you know um, Keith Herring's and you know Eric Hayes and all these early uh, New York contemporary street artists. That was kind of like what we saw for the first time. Now you, you look at some of those guys that are still alive. Their work they're doing now. Some of them are incredible designers. You know, they're architects, and there's still mm-hmm. something about their style, and it's very much you know, lends itself to uh, our inspirations and the things that we're you know, we were surrounded by when we were being, you know, inspired or looking for, you know, source inspiration. What do you do? You know, me and Zach used to go down to photographer's gallery all the time just to look at other people's photographs, flip through all the books, look at the postcards. Yes. Bam! One day I thought, one day I'm going to have a postcard. Bam! There's a postcard. You know, with a logo. Do you know what it's I mean? It's like, so so you just keep trying things. So I, I, I'm very happy to do that. I don't want to start embarking on saying what you want me to say, which is that, there is a couple more books in me. Um, <laughs> it was very, very difficult putting together a 272-page hardback. Um, really difficult to do that, to, to have the discipline to actually curate um, your work and put the right amount of work up in an exhibition that's got 272 walls. Amazing. Or, you, know, if you, put, you know, it's ridiculous, really. So that was quite epic, but... I'd like to thank Andrew Whitaker, my editor, for helping me to do that. A very good editor. Editor, The design was Mariona Villaros, who was actually based for the whole project in Miami, where she lives. Wow. So we did all of this remotely. You know, I sent her a whole hundreds of photographs, <laughs> of which many are not in this book, for all the right reasons. It wasn't that they're not in the book, which I've had to retrain myself over the... Oh, being sad about I couldn't get this in, I couldn't get that in. Well, now that I've got the book back, I'm like, well, actually, yeah, as a team effort that we're all trying to get the best book out of my work, yes. I stand back and I'm still in shock going through it because they've just gone, they're like solid objects now, these photographs. Before they were just like prints in places or there's in a feature in a mag or featuring in someone else's book. But now it's like a whole family all crunched together and there's a lot of lot of um, there's a lot of work gone into that, so I think that it's got a lot of legwork, uh, and also I now know how to do it, so I could do a second one much quicker. <laughs> oh, Norski, would you do us the honour of just holding it up to camera again? Because, oh, of course and I tell will. Us where, where Man can, with the golden shutter. It's gorgeous. Where can people get hold of it from? You, this book is on uh, international release. I should say it's actually on sale on every professionally every good uh, book outlet uh, from, you know, Amazon, Waterstones, Dabrake Smith. I, I'm finding out about, I mean, anywhere you'd like to buy a book from online, it will be getting stopped because it is a hot one. It's just out now in 2023, October. It's fresh. And uh, I did find out that Phonica Records, very cool record uh, book as well. So all the cool shops that are now stocking, not just music, but clothing. They're also getting into literature as well. So I know Fonica Records have just got their batch in in Soho. I also know that the Photographer's Gallery 
have got another order coming in. So, so I'm hoping as, as we lead up towards the, the 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 season of buying presents that you know it's still it's still popular, and then I will see it actually arrive into shops. I think the way they do that now, and the way retail works, is that if something is really flying and is very popular online, yeah. then it's very possible that you can get it in store. So it's that fresh out that you know two weeks in. I would have presumed that maybe within the next couple of weeks or so, someone will say, "Oh yeah, it's in the window of such and such a shop." Yeah, um, it's all pre-sales moment, now, isn't it? It's it pre-sales. pre-sales. Yeah, well, you know, it's being sold now because people are yeah. buying it. It's out, and people. I get messages every day. Do you know, Nomsky, I am <laughs> so honoured that we can celebrate really your weird. success with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, the, really, most really be- it's the most beautiful publication. And I think for, for those people who are hoping to get their hands on a copy, I would encourage them to do because it's a portrait and a landscape of our time. And I think you use the word fresh, which mm. I think um, it goes to your, your style in everything that you do, Normsky, is, yep. you know, is fresh and also there's something about you lifting the stone and looking at what's underneath in everything that you do, you know. Yeah, it's- yeah, I like that. Yeah, bit, bit, bit nosy, bit of a risk taker, bit curious. <laughs> you are, but actually but I, I will, think... But I will put a stone back, though, after I've lifted it up. I think... So I will place it back. That is one good thing. I think you're um, a testament to allowing your curiosity to drive you through life and not walking uh, walking the path that other people may have considered for you. And I think in terms of yeah. the title of this podcast, Extraordinary Creatives, I think I know it will be clear to our listeners why I asked you to come on, because you are one of the most extraordinary humans and artists. Oh. But also just the, you know, it's quite clear that your the challenges in your life to overcome the things that you've overcome to lead a creative life have at times mm. been an enormous weight to bear. You know, the things that you've been through, the people yeah, that you've got to know, the experiences you've had, these things come up. At a price at times. And I think that what you've shared with us are some of the absolute enthusiasm for your craft, you know, for being an artist, (laughs) first and foremost. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And I think that that still shines through. So long may it continue. I'm very humbled. Long may your curiosity grow. And here's to the next decades of you being an extraordinary creative Normski. thank you so much for your time and being so so generous thank you. with your learnings thank you, thank you so much thank what you for honor. your kindness and all your greatness it's my honor to be here with you because you're an absolute don in this and you really have uh, uh allowed me to uh, enlighten myself even with with some of the questions and the subjects that we went into because again this is really the first time um, we really get a chance to celebrate what I've been or done. And, and I really am quite humbled and very honoured for you to have said all the lovely things you've said about me because I, I don't hear that that often. Oh. Um, and it's it's really nice to hear and I really appreciate it. 
Well, and here's a, th- a big thanks to uh, Zach for introducing us and for both Absolutely. of you actually have committed an awful lot to the community at large and you make it a mission to lift each other up and others up with you. So yeah. respect, Normski, and Thank I look you. forward Thank to staying you. in touch and staying in your orbit. Yes. Thank you. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time. Mm-hmm.